President Trump signed executive orders that he says will extend unemployment benefits. They don't really do that. Cardi B defended Kylie Jenner's appearance in the WAP music video. And NPR's Tim Mack will be joining us to talk about how the NRA has become a target in recent years. The date, Monday, August 10th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hello, friends. I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Casey, uh, remind me real quick, where did you go to college? Uh, Boston University. Big football school, Boston University. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, we definitely have a football team. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I went to Michigan State, and so it's uh, pretty wild that it looks like the college football season might be canceled because of the pandemic. (gasps) Oh, boy. Okay, I don't follow football, but I know that's a big deal. (laughs) Yeah, it's a big deal. And it's wild to the point that apparently uh, the college football players may or may not be unionizing a little bit. Oh, whoa. Yeah, they put... They put out a statement on Twitter saying like, hey, we have all these demands for you guys making sure that we're safe. Otherwise, we don't really want to play. And it's signed representing the players of all the Power Five leagues. So the Big Ten, the ACC, uh, the SEC. So this is really big. That is. That's awesome. They need protection. And I'm glad that they're standing up for, honestly, their health. In their right? well-being. Already you see people who are like, we need college football. It's not uh, America without college football. Uh, burr, burr, burr. So this is going to become a thing. I just wanted to bring it up now <laughs> to like So I'll know yourself. what's going on. I'll be ready. Yes. <laughs> okay. It's time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. The president signed a series of memos and executive orders on Saturday that he claimed, emphasis on claimed, would act as needed relief during the pandemic. Congress is currently deadlocked over the next round of coronavirus spending with several key provisions that expired at the end of last month. So President Trump decided to act on his own. The problem? None of his executive orders really do all that much, with several that might be outright unconstitutional. One of them puts into place a freeze on the U.S. collecting payroll taxes, a move that the president has long been championing, even as congressional Republicans have rolled their eyes. But American individuals and companies will still eventually have to pay the IRS back for the millions of dollars that Trump says will be saved unless Congress changes tax laws. Another order supposedly extends the expanded federal unemployment benefits program that ended on July 31st. Under the order, that benefit would drop from $600 to $400 weekly. If you're asking, but where does that money come from? Only Congress can appropriate money. Well, you are right. 300 of it per person would come out of money in FEMA's disaster relief fund. The last 100 would, in theory, come from states, many of which are already pretty broke. Meanwhile, a new study shows a big rise in kids who have come down with coronavirus, prompting even more concerns as schools across the country prepare to open. The study from the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Children's Hospital Association reports that 97,000 children tested positive for the coronavirus in the last two weeks of July. That's a 40% increase from child cases in the states and cities that were studied. Those numbers are the best estimate that the study could give, since the ages of who counts as a child in these statistics varies by state. But what's clear is that at least 86 kids have died since March, with hundreds more still sick. Ten more children have died from a mysterious inflammatory syndrome that afflicts kids with COVID-19. This all comes as schools are grappling with competing pressures to reopen their doors and to keep children safe. The Georgia high school that we told you about last week that threatened kids with expulsion for staying home because they're worried about the pandemic, it'll be holding virtual classes only today and tomorrow after nine people, including seven students, tested positive for the coronavirus. 
And on Friday night, Trump donor turned Postmaster General Louis DeJoy reassigned or fired almost two dozen senior executives, adding to worries that the Postal Service is being sabotaged ahead of this fall's election. DeJoy reassigned or fired 23 senior executives who served in national leadership positions. The move, critics say, clears out the ranks of top officials who are familiar with the Postal Service's day-to-day operations, many of whom have been with USPS for decades. The Postal Service said in a statement that the new leadership structure will, quote, provide more clarity and focus on what the Postal Service does best, collect, process, move, and deliver mail and packages. But analysts worry that the streamlining centralizes power with the joy and makes the USPS seem more like a for-profit business than an essential service. Congressional Democrats have started referring to DeJoy's changes, which have contributed to a slowdown in mail service in many parts of the country, as sabotage and worry that it will affect federal elections this November. More Americans than ever are expected to vote by mail this fall, even as President Trump and his closest allies falsely deride mail-in voting as unsafe. Okay, it does sound like sabotage to me. (laughs) I'm nervous. (laughs) It's not great. I mean, even if under the most charitable, you know, of circumstances, this situation where they are trying to streamline things, make things more efficient and cost effective. That's not the Postal Service's job. I mean, no one looks at uh, the Pentagon like, boy, that ineffective, not for profit Pentagon Defense Department. We need to figure out what to do about them. They should, but they're not. And today is definitely a Monday because I want to talk about everything you talked about. Okay, real quick, for the schools that are doing online, you're saying they're just going online today as in Monday and tomorrow as in Tuesday, and then that's the end of that plan? That is the plan for North Paulding High School specifically, (laughs) which is the one we've been talking about. Right. Uh, Just this two-day virtual-only shutdown because before they were saying that uh, their virtual classes were completely full up. They could not have any more kids in virtual classrooms. Okay, I heard something uh, wild on Twitter that I thought, like, I'm sure other people have thought about this and stuff, but I'm like, I feel like there should be some sort of public access TV channel where kids can watch there. And I'm like, okay, then the virtual class won't be full. And again, not sure how it can be full. I know, right? I mean, that's an interesting idea. There's a lot to like work through in terms of like state by state curriculum, et cetera, but it's not a terrible idea. Oh, and uh, I have to jump back to uh, the executive orders that Trump signed. Please do. So the payroll tax cut that I mentioned, uh, BT dubs, those payroll taxes fund Social Security and more than a third of Medicare costs, by the way. So that is money that does need to go there eventually. Like it needs to be put into place. Uh, so it, it's, I've, I'm pretty sure that most businesses, according to reporting I've seen, have seen so far, are hedging on the fact that, no, you will have to pay this money. So they're not going to put that money, you know, into people's checks. So they're going to keep withholding it. It's going to go in eventually, but we'll see. It's all a mess. Casey, what have you got <laughs> on this beautiful Monday? Oh, boy, Monday. So the music video for Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion's WAP continued to be the talk of the Internet over the weekend. We told you all on Friday how fans were upset that Kylie Jenner was included in the video. One tweet noted that while singer Normani danced, all Jenner did was open a door. But Cardi herself defended Kylie's presence in a series of now-deleted tweets. Cardi wrote that Kylie got invited to be in the video because she, quote, treated my sister and daughter so lovely at her kid's birthday party. That, plus her husband Offset, is close with Travis Scott, the father of Kylie's daughter, Stormy. Plus, Kris Jenner had apparently been offering Cardi advice on, quote, certain things I ask for. So that settles that. 
But then we got the most unexpected crossover of the summer when Tiger King's Carol Baskin called out Cardi and Megan for having big cats in the video. The head of Big Cat Rescue condemned the video in a statement to Billboard saying that even though the leopards and white tigers were clearly green screened in, you still had to get the cats to pose in front of the screen to produce the music video. Okay, so one... Good job, Carol Baskin, jumping on this PR. Get the good PR out there. Like, Big Cat Rescue, we're doing great. We're fine. It's it's fantastic. (laughs) Two. What documentary? uh, Two. (laughs) I am so curious about what advice Kris Jenner is giving Cardi B. I know. I saw that. I was like, wait, wait. But what? What are, what are you asking? Yeah. I, I recently watched an episode of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and Kris Jenner was in the, <gasps> on the episode. And I'm like, Kris Jenner knows so many people, is involved in so many lives. So this Cardi thing does not surprise me. But yes, I am just as interested as you are. I need to know. <laughs> All right. Moving on. This weekend, comedian Louis C.K. made an appearance at a Dave Chappelle stand-up event in Ohio. And it had some people upset. Chappelle has been hosting the series Dave Chappelle and Friends, an intimate socially distanced affair around the country this summer, billing the shows as small scale performances with only 100 people max in attendance. He's brought out other surprise guest stars like Jon Stewart and David Letterman at other shows, but some Instagram posts from this past weekend show CK standing with other comedians on stage. It's unclear if CK was just a guest or performed himself, but DJ Trauma, the show's in-house DJ, reposted with the caption, Louis CK came through and rocked with us. CK was accused in 2017 of sexual misconduct with five female comedians accusing him of masturbating in front of them or on the phone with them. CK admitted that the accusations were true and noted the unjust power imbalance between him and the women in question. Since then, though, he's made several attempts at a comeback, leading people to use him as an example of how rarely men's careers ever truly seem to be ruined from sexual misconduct. Right. Ah, this this is such a weird one because I know that CK is friends with Dave Chappelle. I I know mm-hmm. that Chappelle has defended him last year, and it was not a very good statement. If you ask me, you guys can look it up yourselves. It was it was pretty cringe. Yeah, and then Sarah Silverman was one of the comics present in Ohio, and she previously acknowledged how wrong what CK did was, despite being friends with him for years. So yeah, I mean, it it just is this thing of like, you know, people talking about how rarely men's careers ever truly seem to be affected by this. And it is, it's one of those things where like this really big thing happened, this really awful thing happened that impacted women's Mm -hmm. lives, and he laid low, and now he's seemingly coming back. And it's kind of just this thing of like, oh, so we're just... Are we pretending nothing happened? Do we just go back to normal? What has changed? Has anything right. changed? And so, it's, it's, yeah. At such a weird time and when we're, everyone's talking about cancel culture, is it real? What does it mean? Is it just mm. accountability? And what does mm-hmm. it look like once someone has been quote unquote canceled and wants to make a reappearance in the public sphere? Do you get to have that chance? I mean, we've, we haven't been right. saying like I- everyone who's been canceled must be, you know, murdered and never heard from again. But do you get the right to come back into the public space. Right. And for people, these women who came forward, now they see like, okay, there were some repercussions, but now are there no repercussions? And what is that going to mean for uh, victims in the future who are like, okay, do we even want to go public about this? Because it might just blow over. And what was the point, you know, but it's like, it is important to speak up. And it's just such a, it's definitely something to grapple with. Uh, Well, when we come back, we've got NPR reporter Tim Mack here to talk about the NRA's current legal troubles. Stay right there. 
Chief It. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Hello, hello. Hey, I don't know if you heard, but my podcast, Checking In, has been nominated for the NAACP Image Award in the category of Outstanding Lifestyle and Self-Help Podcast. I'm grateful for the nomination. I, I almost didn't even do a podcast because I was just wondering, there are thousands of podcasts out there and why is my voice needed? But a nomination from the NAACP lets me know that um, I made the right choice. And I encourage you to do, don't worry if there are thousands of something out that you want to do. No, Nobody has your sauce. So listen, you can still vote. Go to vote.naacpimageawards.net. You have until February 5th, um, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please listen to my podcast. We're a part of the Black Effect Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for checking in. What's up, what's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. But we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Welcome back. For decades, the National Rifle Association has been one of the biggest names in politics, using its dedicated members and deep pockets to influence lawmakers around the country. But the last few years have seen one disaster after another for the group, leaving the NRA looking like a target itself. It's been a hell of a fall, and today we're lucky to have NPR investigative correspondent Tim Mack, author of the forthcoming book, Misfire, here with us to lay it all out. Good afternoon, Tim. Hey, good afternoon. So last Thursday, New York's Attorney General Letitia James filed a lawsuit against the NRA that's seeking to have it disbanded entirely. So remind our listeners, what exactly is she alleging? So there was an 18-month investigation that the New York AG launched into these allegations of financial misconduct within the organization. Now, this is a really powerful one, as you mentioned, and a very uh, one that has a lot of resources. But it seems the, the attorney general is alleging that they spent millions and millions and millions of dollars to profit themselves using charitable funds. And what that means is things like lavish trips and private jets and contracts for friends and contracts for former employees to gain their loyalty. Mm. So the suit names four individuals alongside the NRA itself, including Executive Vice President Wayne LaPierre. What can you tell us about LaPierre's leadership of the NRA? Well, Wayne LaPierre has been at that top slot for nearly 30 years, and he's become pretty closely associated with the NRA itself. The allegations in the suit 
really do center around Wayne LaPierre as one of the central characters uh, of wrongdoing, one of the, the central people who took advantage of free trips or took advantage of charitable money to benefit himself personally. So the Texas Attorney General, uh, Ken Paxton, he's invited the NRA to set up shop in Texas over the weekend while speaking on Fox and Friends. Trump also said that the NRA should move out of the state. So how easily can the NRA just, you know, dissolve in New York and pop up again in another state, would you say? Right. Well, the charitable law does not allow that, right? The, the NRA has its own contracts. It has its own assets. And in order to actually dissolve a nonprofit that's uh, founded or chartered or organized in the state of New York, you actually have to get the permission of the attorney general's office or the charities bureau. So they couldn't just up and leave to avoid this legal action. Um, they're kind of stuck with fighting it out. And this is going to be a very kind of vicious legal battle going forward to try to figure out if the New York attorney general's office is going to be able to dissolve the organization as it uh, hopes and, and thinks is appropriate. So can you clarify something for me? What exactly makes it so that the NRA counts as a charitable organization? Because, I mean, it, it seems to, you know, be very active in politics, et cetera. So what is it that makes it so that it uh, counts the money it raises as charitable? Right. Well, so this all comes down to charitable law, right? Advocacy organizations, whether they're the NRA or not, uh, depending on how you're organized, can be organized as charitable organizations. There are parts of the NRA, like the the... the NRA Foundation that focus on uh, promoting gun safety. They've got uh, elements of the organization that relate to um, shooting competitions. The NRA is known to the public for its lobbying, for its advocacy, and its political power. But to most Americans, it's known for its shooting competitions, its gun safety. So it has. There are different elements to it, and the NRA falls under those elements when it comes to being a charitable organization. It's really been one thing after another with the NRA. What are some of the other legal challenges that they're facing right now? Well, they've had a really bad go of it over the last couple of years. Uh, a lot of it has to do with congressional investigations that were looking at uh, what happened with Maria Butina, that convicted Russian agent who did try to infiltrate the NRA and got some favors from the NRA. That started a series of events. And later on, there were whistleblowers from within the organization that, that sounded the alarm on some financial misconduct. Over time, this started to add up. You had uh, NRA members starting to question the leadership as to whether they were appropriately spending these charitable funds, appropriately spending members' money. This kind of snowballed. We had board members uh, resign, and this long-lasting attorney general investigation that has now yielded this very kind of disastrous result for the NRA. And where do they stand on the lawsuits with NRA TV? That's a really complicated question. I mean, the, the NRA TV is kind of the brainchild of its former PR firm, and that PR firm is called Ackerman McQueen. There was a big falling out between the NRA and Ackerman McQueen. It's become very bitter. Um, but Ackerman McQueen has a lot of receipts, right? Ackerman McQueen, being so close to the NRA for decades and decades and decades, saw a lot of these issues up close. And it's no surprise that that kind of mutual animus has contributed a lot to what uh, investigators have been able to figure out over time has been happening inside the NRA. So the NRA's biggest weapons in legislative battles have been the size of its membership and the money it can raise. Have these scandals affected either of those? 
Well, no. I mean, the the fact is that the NRA's core mission of promoting Second Amendment rights in America, it hasn't really been affected by these scandals. Those millions of people who believe in the right to own certain types of firearms or certain or, or advocate for certain kinds of laws as it relates to firearms, those people don't disappear because the NRA as an advocacy organization uh, is crumbling or in financial trouble. The NRA has always depended on its millions and millions of members, like you say, for its political power. And those members still exist and still hold those same views, regardless of whether the NRA is in trouble. Mm. So, But what do you think this means for the NRA itself's uh, influence on Capitol Hill moving forward if they can't harness the power of these members? I think it would be it would be more difficult over time. I mean, one of the big things that has contributed to the NRA's power over the last few years has been its role in the 2016 election. You know, after the Access Hollywood tapes came out, a lot of Republican and conservative groups began to disassociate themselves from the Trump campaign. The NRA actually doubled down, increased its buy. They went all in for the president. Um, and they actually contributed tens of millions of dollars in those late weeks of the 2016 campaign. The big question right now is, given all the investigations, given the lawsuits, can they equal that role that they had four years ago? And it's, it's very dubious that they will be able to do that in you know while facing all these other issues these legal actions that they have to deal with yeah so what is your opinion do you think with november being right around the corner is the nra going to double down for this election I just find it difficult to believe that in the middle of layoffs, in the middle, we broke a story uh, earlier this year about the NRA, their legal troubles having cost the NRA a hundred million dollars over the last couple of years. With these challenges, it's hard to look at just the raw numbers, the struggles they've been going through. They, they had to cancel their annual convention, which is, you know, a 20, 30 million dollar, just, you know, ballpark, 20, 30 million dollar fundraising boon for them. These struggles, are all going to contribute to their available resources. And they may say they're going to play big in 2020. But just looking at the math, something doesn't add up, right? Uh, it'd be difficult for them to equal their very prominent and powerful role in 2016. Gosh, well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us and explaining all of this. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, it's time for Meanwhile on the Internet and Hayes. I have the wildest story to share with you, courtesy of TikTok, about a Belgian nun who may have been a lesbian. Casey, you have my undivided (laughs) attention at this moment. Please proceed. Okay, so I saw this TikTok posted by user Margot Bellier singing the French song Dominique. Dominique, nique, nique, s'en allait tout simplement, routier, pauvre et chantant. En tout chemin, en tout lieu, il ne parle que du bon Dieu. Il ne parle que du bon Dieu. Where is that even from? <laughs> you know, I actually have no idea. Where is that from? Oh boy, Hayes. <laughs> so TikTok user at Dummy Thick Persian answered that question, posting, fun fact, the two nuns who wrote this song were secretly lesbians and wound up killing themselves together. What? No, wait, what? I know. Okay, Casey, no, you have to say more words than that. (laughs) We are just getting started. It's a hell of a claim, but it's at least kind of true. That song is Dominique, written in the early 60s by a nun named Janine Deckers. She was better known as the singing nun here in the U.S. She was a Dominican nun in Belgium who wrote the song about the group's founder, St. Dominic, and it became a number one hit in the U.S. 
okay, we haven't even gotten to the possible lesbian part yet, and you have blown my mind with all of those facts. The fact that none had a number one hit in the U.S. and I did not know about it is already leaving me like, I okay, please continue just, those. Yeah, just wait. There is more. Deckers wound up leaving her convent in 1966 and then wrote a song all about how birth control is awesome called Glory Be to God for the Golden Pill. La pilule Shout out to her. Shout out to this song. It's a banger. I That horn section is going to be kind of stuck in my head right now. It's really like 60s and groovy. <laughs> so wait, uh, the lesbian suicide part. We have not gotten to that yet. I'm getting there. Okay. So after she left her order, the Belgian government said Deckers owed a bunch of taxes for her work. She said that she'd given it all to her convent, but there was no paper trail to prove it. She spent the rest of her life in poverty living with her friend, Annie Pescher. She denied at the time that they were lesbians, but Decker's biographer, yes, she had a biographer in 2009, said that they started a relationship after they moved in together. Then in March 1985, they overdosed on alcohol and barbiturates together, citing their financial difficulties in their note. Oh, wow. That is extremely tragic. I, I, wow. What a freaking story i know what a life i mean i i fully 100 percent stand her she's singing about the golden pill in the 60s go her right i and also the singing nun that wasn't there i feel like there was a movie called the singing nun oh my god yes yes with debbie reynolds yes i i have no idea how accurate it was but it probably did not involve a lesbian (laughs) friend i'm guessing just gonna guess that debbie i would have heard about that from debbie reynolds So yeah, TikTok bringing the facts, going back to fact check uh, from the original. She, the TikToks claim that it was a two nuns, one nun, close enough, half the nuns, uh, secretly lesbians, possibly, wound mm-hmm. up killing themselves together. Definitely true. So good job, TikTok. Exactly. You got to head over to TikTok to learn all your facts. Okay, not all of them, but some of them. <laughs> All right, that's it for today. Join us tomorrow for an interview with former Deputy National Security Advisor and co-host of Pod Save the World, Ben Rhodes. And remember, today is Monday, guys. Please go easy on yourselves. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Being a real estate agent isn't about listing houses. It's about connecting to people. I need to find new buyers every day. So I promote my listings using radio commercials from iHeartAdBuilder.com. Now every time I have an open house, it's a full house. A custom radio ad from iHeartAdBuilder is the fast, affordable way to drive customers to your business. Put the power of radio to work for you. Get started now at iHeartAdBuilder.com. I'm Paris Hilton, and this is Trapped in Treatment, a weekly podcast of shocking survivor experiences and stories from an industry plagued by controversy. With my hosts, Caroline Cole and Rebecca Mellinger, we will uncover the truth of one teen treatment facility each season. First up, Provo Canyon School. This one is personal. Listen to Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, 
wherever you get your podcasts. Give us your attention. We need everything you got fast. Waiting on reparations. We be the endless podcast. Tune in every Thursday. Politics and wordplay. We fight for the people because they got us in the worst way. From the hill to Brazil, Bombay to Kanye. From the left enclave to what the neocons say. Every Thursday, cop the heady conversation. And, and break us off with some bread because we waiting, waiting on, on reparations. reparations. Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.